Hey, uh, folks, if you want to grab a seat, it is so nice to be together. Welcome, and uh, welcome at home. Glad you're joining with us, uh, those who are live at 9 or uh, are watching this at some point during the week. Good morning. Ah, great to see you all, and great to see some new faces, some who, for whom this is their first time at Hillside, and we want to say just an enthusiastic welcome. We're really glad you're here, and uh, please uh, make yourselves at home. Um, we're in this short little series that uh, Sonia, Sonia, yeah, I almost thought I got your name wrong, but yeah, I got it right, told us about. It's called Regroup. And um, I don't know about you, but regroup is a word that I have come to love in recent weeks as I've thought about what it means for us, what it means for our life, and what it looks like for our relationship with God. As uh, one definition has it, to regroup is to organize something again in order to make a new effort, especially after a defeat. So when you think of regrouping, you, you could picture a losing sports team at halftime. You know, think of that passionate, intense coach, maybe uh, on the sidelines of a hockey arena with a whiteboard, strategizing with his team, coaching his team, urging them to, to carry on the fight in the next round. Or I picture... Uh, a boxer. For me, the definitive boxer is Rocky Balboa, of course. And after him getting beat up in the ring, urged by his old trainer to, to get back up and keep on fighting. Uh, a biblical example of regrouping that I thought of this week comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. It's, it's again it's another story of David. It's a story where David and his men, they, they suffer a huge loss. Uh, they've been away and while they're away, their village has been burned by raiders, and their women and, and uh, children have been taken captive. And they're devastated, and David's men are on the verge of mutiny. They're ready to hang David up. But David regroups, and I love the verse that describes it. It says, but David found strength in God. Da another version says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And the story goes on to say how David seeks God, he prays, and gets a vision for retaking what's been lost. They, in other words, they regroup. To be fair, it feels like we are in a season of regrouping. What does life look like right now? How do we move forward? What ought to be our priorities? How do, how do I find my, my focus when for the last 18 months or so, life may have felt like it's either on hold or maybe it's felt like just a lot of loss. What does it look like to regroup in my faith and in my walk with Jesus? We've talked so far in our series about remembering our first love, taking stock of where we are with God. How are our hearts doing? Have our hearts drifted away from that loving God with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength? And simply being honest about that and considering where we might, for our own lives, make course corrections to turn our hearts back to God, to do what we did at first. Then last week we talked about how, as Caleb reminded us of today, how good and pleasant and important unity is. How we can't ignore that we were made to be a people. We were made for each other, to do life together. Somehow my life with God is bound up with your life with God. We're, we're bound up in this together. And so we prioritize finding ways as God's people to meet together so that we can encourage each other and so that we can know and be known. 
And today, as I've been praying for us as a community, I sensed God wants us to regroup around one more thing, about our identity as disciples or apprentices of Jesus. Our anchor scripture is Mark chapter 8, 34 to 37. If you have a Bible, you can turn there right now. Please feel free to do that in your Bible app if you'd like. But this is how it reads. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let's pause and pray for a moment. Lord, we just invite you in this space that we set aside to gather together uh, and, and to reflect on your word. I, I pray you would teach us today, Jesus. You would lead us into the kind of life you call us to, we pray. Uh, speak. We're listening. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, in the center of that verse, we, we hear two words that are probably the most important invitation that Jesus gives anyone. Follow me. He says this a lot. Uh, right from the beginning of his ministry, he's calling people to follow him. Well, what does it mean? Well, in that culture, you know, when Jesus was saying, follow me, he was really saying, become my disciple. Now, if you're from a church background, you're pretty familiar with the word disciple. You, you probably know it really well. Uh, another word that, that we might relate better to would be student. But student actually doesn't quite go far enough. A word I like, I, I think fits very well, is the word apprentice. Um, some of you in your life, in, in your careers, you've been apprentices. Some of you right now are actually in an apprenticeship program of some sort. One of my sons, my other son, is actually considering to be an accountant for his chosen profession, which would mean likely he'd, he'd do a program that is called articling. Now, I've been married to an accountant for 29 years, and I still don't actually know what articling is. And I've got to tell you, articling does not sound like a fun thing to do. Is it a fun thing to do? Yeah, she's shaking her head, no, it's not a fun thing to do. It, it isn't, is it, really? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's the furthest thing I should ever do is be an accountant. But apparently, it's a, an apprenticeship program for newbie wannabe accountants who train on the job under supervision to learn the skills of managing numbers, of crunching numbers. Of course, when we think of, of apprentices, we think of other trades where it's very common to go through even years of an apprenticeship program. But the goal of an apprenticeship is to become skilled and proficient in that field, whether it be nursing or medicine or electrical or, or becoming a pilot. The idea is you begin to gain the kind of skills and confidence in order to do that job very well. Well, apprenticeship to Jesus is actually not so different than that. Uh, the Christian life is really an apprenticeship to Jesus where we can learn the kind of skills and confidence in order to live, to live a, a Jesus kind of life. Now, becoming a Jesus apprentice is so important to who we are as a church. We organize ourselves around that very task. It's, it's probably the most central thing that is part of our journey. It, it, all of our activities fall under that mission of 
making and growing apprentices. We get this mandate right from Jesus in some of his final words to his first disciples. He said, therefore, go and make disciples, make apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So at, so at Hillside, we organize ourselves around that commission. We're, we're called to make and grow disciples. That's what we're about. Now, let me remind you uh, of our mission statement as a church. It's something that we uh, kind of worked out a few years ago, and it's something that from time to time it's helpful for us to come back to and reflect on and think about. This is our mission. This is our mission statement. We are on mission to become a community of fully developed, fully equipped, and empowered followers of Jesus, bringing his healing, hope, and compassion to the tri-cities and beyond. I, I love that. I love that statement. Now, we've often shortened that statement to say something along the lines of our mission is to bring the healing and hope and compassion of Jesus to the tri-cities and beyond, to, to, to wherever we live and to the world around us and to the farthest corner of the earth. That's, that's our calling. I, I love when we get to do that. I, I love when, when we get to be healers in relationships, when we get to, as we, as we bump around people in our lives and we come across need and, and we can say a word or we can provide something in such a way that brings healing to another person, it's such a gift. I, I love when Christians become known for their compassion, that we actually have hearts for the least of these and the vulnerable in our world. I, I, I love when we get to be involved in things that actually make a difference in somebody's life. Like, so we, we join up with schools and we, you know, really anchor our ministry with the food bank and, and, and then we go globally and do work in places like Iraq where we support refugees there. I, I love that we get to do that kind of thing. I, I love that we are hope bringers because we get to share the message of Jesus with, in relationship with, with others. It's such a good gift. There's nothing like telling somebody the good news for the first time. And telling them, giving the reason for the hope that we have, that, that even in the midst of a pandemic, we have hope, right? We have hope. It's an anchor for us. But if we're ever to have any kind of hope of being one ounce of good to our neighborhood, we can't miss out the first half of our mission statement. Our mission is to become a community of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus. I'd be bold enough to say that we are becoming that kind of people. We're becoming a community of, of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus. Are we there yet? <laughs> no, we've got a long way to go. But we're on our way. That's our target, that we would be fully equipped, fully empowered apprentices. And that's really what we're about. Now, our strategy at Hillside for actually pulling this off is anchored in three phrases, or what we might say are three activities. And they're simply connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. Connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. Another church I like, they've, they've put it in similar terms that I like, just to freshen it up for us. They, they put it this way. They say, be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were you. <laughs> do you hear that? 
Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were you. So good. Folks, those uh, continue to be priorities here at Hillside. We prioritize connecting deeply with God and, and helping people connect with God. That's one of the primary reasons why we gather on Sundays. And then to grow deeply in such a way that we would be like Jesus. And then finally, that we learn to serve passionately, which means doing what Jesus would do if he were in your skin, if he had your gifts, your temperament, your, your heart. Are you with me so far? Good, good to, to review these kind of things uh, and what we're about. Now, I want to take a, a few minutes and just make three observations about what this life of apprenticeship actually looks like, and then we'll have and we'll conclude with three quick applications. Notice three practical things about being an apprentice. First, apprenticeship is not an option. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must follow me. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, if you want to have any experience of me, if you want to have a relationship with me, you have to be a disciple. You have to be an apprentice. There are not two types of Christians. You know, regular Christians and people who are really disciples. There's only one. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To, to have anything to do with Jesus is to follow him in the way that he defines it. Second thing, having said that it's an option, it's not an option, I should say, on the other hand, it is a journey. He says, follow me, you know, come with me. <laughs> Jesus says, come this way. I'm, I'm going this direction. Apprenticeship to Jesus is a journey, and, and what that means is, it's a process. On the one hand, there's this uh, decisiveness to it. You have to leave with Jesus. You have to go. You know, to, to go on the journey means saying, I take my hands off of my life. To, to go on the journey means I, I, I give up my right to going my own way. To go on the journey means saying, I'll obey you, Lord, and, and I'll get rid of all the ifs. It's not just, I'll obey you if, but it's, I'll I'll obey you, period. I, I drop my conditions. I drop the ifs. Not until you say that have you really begun the journey with Jesus. And a question for you just in this morning, this, this moment right now is, have you begun the journey with Jesus? Have you heard that call to follow him? And if had, have, have you said yes? And have you had started following in his footsteps and following in his path? That's something you can do today if you haven't. You can do it right now. But the fact is, it's a journey and it takes time. Spiritual growth is, in a lot of ways, it's patterned after our physical growth. You know, we, we don't expect to, uh, you know, put an infant in a crib at night and the next morning there's a child or a, or a teenager or an adult. <laughs> we expect that infant to grow into maturity over time. And the same thing is true of our spiritual growth. Slow and steady seems to be the nature of it, for the most part. That I say for the most part because there are those moments where growth spurts seem to happen. Um, it was so good to, it's so good to have Caleb here this morning and to share and lead. And um, he's uh, moved back home, which is something that's pretty awesome. Just he's just graduated from university. We're so proud of him, and he's moved back. And I, I, we always heard that they go away, but they come back and. He's proving that to be the case. Our food bill has just gone up exponentially. It's pretty awesome. 
really feels good to be poor. But, uh, you know, like, I still remember when he was just a little boy. You know, I think of him in middle school, just a little tyke. And then suddenly, growth happened, right? Over the course of, like, one year, he became a man. He, like, grew a foot, and his voice deepened, and he began to shave and did manly things. My man boy, he's a different person. The same kind of thing happens in our spiritual life. There can be longer stretches, which is kind of normal, where nothing seems to happen, where, where growth is just really slow and not observable. But those seasons often prepare us for growth spurts. They're often preparation for those times where suddenly, as, as we're just kind of walking along, something really remarkable happens and we grow in that kind of way. But again, growth spurts aren't the norm. Apprenticeship is more of a day-by-day, kind of step-by-step kind of deal. Now, if you're with me, I'd, I'd prefer zap and it's done, <laughs> right? But following Jesus is more like a slow cooker than it is an Instapot, right? It's not, not quick. And for those of you who are further along, some of you here are in your 60s or 70s or 80s, where's K? 90s? You're still an apprentice. That's still a core part of your identity. You thought you'd have it down by now. You don't ever stop having to follow Jesus in a kind of an everyday kind of way. You, you just you keep on going. The hope is you keep on going your whole life long. You keep on growing. I've said it before. If you ain't dead, you ain't done, right? If you ain't dead, you're not done. Now, thirdly, where does the journey take us? Well, the aim of apprenticeship is, in a nutshell, to become like the person who we're following. To become like Jesus, to begin to resemble Jesus in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our actions. Like Jesus, you and I were created to be compassionate people who in our relationships are are loving and forgiving. People whose lives are a healing, liberating, transforming touch of God's grace upon our world. Again and again, the New Testament emphasizes that this is the work of God that he wants to do in us, to grow us up into maturity. And maturity, as defined in Scripture, is Christ-likeness. As the Apostle Paul says, he says, we are being changed into his likeness. In Colossians, he says, I'll keep on laboring as a pastor and as an, an apostle until Christ is fully formed in you. Now, this idea of becoming like Jesus, um, let's be honest, it seems kind of out there and like way up there and beyond us. But when the, the New Testament writers, when they speak of becoming like Christ, they actually mean the fulfillment of the deepest dynamics of our being. What this means is, is when we are finally and fully formed into the image of Jesus, we won't be a bunch of clones, right? In fact, we find our, our deepest and truest individuality only to the extent that we are fully formed in the image of Jesus. Did you catch that? We will find our deepest and truest individuality only to the extent that we are fully formed in the life of Jesus. 
Ever noticed how the world wants to squeeze us all into the same mold? I mean, it, it's the, the world's perspective that wants us, wants actually to clone us so that we'll all use the same toothpaste and mouthwash and hairspray and that we'll wear the same clothes and we'll buy the same cars and we'll buy into this kind of dream that they call the Canadian dream, the version of a good life. It's the world that's into cloning because it's only in Jesus that we find our truest self. We talked last week about how different and diverse we all are and we all become compassionate people in an infinite variety of models. We all love and serve Jesus in wonderfully unique and different ways. Friends, God does not want to add or impose something from the outside onto your life that really doesn't fit you. In reality, the image of Jesus in us is the fulfillment of the deepest hungers of our hearts to experience life and wholeness. It's what makes sense of Jesus' words in our text, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Or how the message version puts it, I really like this. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? You know, I, uh, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, so it was like we were at church all the time. But this is something I didn't discover really until I was a young adult. I, I had this idea that being a Christian was about me being a more narrow, more restricted me. And being like Jesus meant somehow taming Derwin, taming wild Derwin. Tame all that outgoing, wild, extroverted, you know, part of me. That for me to be a faithful follower of Jesus probably required some kind of personality transplant. And by the way, some of you who are are quieter and more reserved by temperament, you maybe have felt the same thing only in reverse. You've maybe felt that the Christian life for you meant that that you were to become uh, louder and more extroverted about your faith. I'll never forget this moment uh, about 10 years ago. Somebody wrote me an encouraging email to kind of specifically, and it, it was kind of around my personality. And at some point in their, their email, they said, I really like that about you, Derwin. And in that moment, it's as if I could hear God whispering in my ear saying, I really like that about you too. That's what God said. What a, what a profound and healing moment that was for me. And along the way, I've come to learn that God actually gave me the personality he gave me. He, he wired me in certain ways that are different than others. And, and sometimes it can mean that I'm a little loud and a little out there. Sometimes it means I stick my foot in my mouth. Many of you have seen that and have stories. And thankfully, God is gracious when I misuse those gifts that he's given me. And I'm learning that as I follow Jesus, it's not about me losing a piece of myself, but it's about finding my true self. It's in Jesus we lose ourselves to find ourselves. It's the craziest thing. I love how Robert Mulholland uh, writes about this in his book called Invitation to a Journey, a book I recommend. He says, the greatest thirst of our being is for fulfillment in Christ's image. The most profound yearning of the human spirit, which we try to fill with all sorts of inadequate substitutes, is the yearning for our completeness in the image of Christ. The image of Christ brings cleansing, 
healing, restoration, renewal, transformation and wholeness into the unclean, diseased, broken, imprisoned, dead incompleteness of our lives. It brings compassion in place of indifference, forgiveness in place of resentment, kindness in place of coldness, openness in place of protective defensiveness or manipulation, a life lived for God and not self. What a beautiful picture. And it's not about being restricted, it's about actual freedom. Freedom in Christ. So the aim of apprenticeship is to be like Jesus, and the more we're like Jesus, the more at home we will feel. So how do we do this? How do we live as apprentices? Just three quick thoughts to kind of wrap us up. First of all, this is about a day-by-day thing, cultivating a relationship with God throughout your life. This will happen in the context of your everyday life. This is the ultimate learning on the job. This means it's not in just the so-called spiritual portions of your life. You know, when you're praying, when you're at church, when you're in your life group, when you're, when you're you know, having a quiet time in the morning. Our apprenticeship to Jesus is a whole life deal. And so we, we learn how to walk with Jesus and to live with Jesus in our workplaces, in, in our schools, in our families. By the way, that's kind of where in our workplaces specifically, our vocations, that's probably where a majority of our service to God is going to happen. Crunching numbers for Jesus. Piloting for Jesus. You know, janitor, janitor, how do you say janitoring? It's not a word, I don't think. Teaching for Jesus. Being a stay-at-home parent for Jesus. And whether you are any of those things, our everyday lives are the context in which God grows us. And God wants, I think, in, in my sense, is he wants to reframe those everyday places of our lives as the primary growth opportunities where we learn how to be faithful to Christ. He wants to reframe your, your work. He wants to reframe your home. He wants to reframe your relationships as those are the places where he's going to teach you what it means to be a faithful apprentice. Secondly, it's about getting to know Jesus. Sounds like a very church kind of answer, doesn't it? One of the ways we're being intentional about this as a church right now is by focusing our Sunday teaching on the Gospel of Matthew. We took a, a break for the summer, um, but we'll start again in a couple weeks, but we're spending time there because the Gospel of Matthew and other Gospels, they are like Jesus' apprenticeship manual. They're, it's the place where they teach us what it means to be a disciple. And, and it's so practical, the Sermon on the Mount, just... Just wrestle with that and start trying to live out the Sermon on the Mount and guaranteed, folks, that will turn your life upside down and give you access to the kingdom of God like you've never seen before. You want break breakthrough in your life, start just start with the Sermon on the Mount and start live, seeking to live that. It, it'll take a lifetime to, to be able to apply that to your life, but it's so good. Great thing about the Gospels, though, is we not only learn Jesus' teachings, which are essential, but we also see how Jesus lives and how Jesus works it out, how, how he actually does faith in action. We get to see how he interacts with people. We get to see the things he cares about and, and his heart for people, and, and, and we see his character. And actually, we see his lifestyle. 
And seeing his life is critical for our apprenticeship. Um, probably no author has challenged me more when it comes to discipleship than Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard said this. He said, we can become like Christ by doing one thing. By following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities that he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. If, if we want to become like Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. That's the third thing. One example, Jesus' rhythm. It, it seemed to be a rhythm of retreat and return. Get away with God and come back and serve. It's in all four Gospels. G Jesus withdrew regularly to lonely places with which to pray. And here's the thing. It seemed like the more in demand he was, the more busy Jesus was, the more he snuck away to pray and to rest and to sleep and to reflect and to discern and to process. That kind of retreat and return rhythm is something we can adopt, getting regularly away to a lonely place in our lives in order to, to, to meet with God and to find God resourcing us so that we can go back empowered by him to actually flourish in our lives with Christ in our everyday context. We go away, we retreat to return better. So one of our strategies at Hillside is to regularly equip you with practices or disciplines or habits that help us form a rhythm to help keep us connected to God. Practices like silence and solitude Practices like scripture and prayer and fasting and Sabbath. And you know we're not asking you to actually do more, just in case you were thinking that this is a heavy load. We're actually asking you to do less. Talk, we're talking about a slowed down spirituality. We're asking you to slow down and, and pick up a, a few practices that will help you live an apprenticeship pattern of life in your walk with Christ. Regroup. Friends, let's regroup around our identity as followers and apprentices of Jesus. Uh, as lifelong students of his life, making him our priority, he's the one we're after. Pursuing him with the goal to actually be transformed people, to actually become like Christ until Christ is fully formed in us. And then in becoming like him, we become free. We become liberated to be who God dreamed us up in the first place, the, the unique individuals that he made all of us and he calls us to. That's the dream. That's the life he calls us to, this life of being an apprentice. Why don't we pray? I'm going to invite the team to come on up. Let's, let's, let's take some moment to reflect and pray. Lord Jesus, you invite us to follow you. You say, come follow me. Come walk in my way. Come walk in my footsteps. And so, Lord, I want to pray this morning that we might be freed up in our identity as your apprentices. Apprentices, apprentices to Christ. Uh, Lord, I, I pray you'd reframe the way we live 
that it be around this practice of learning from the master, learning from you, what it means to live a life of faith and love and compassion and generosity. And we pray that this, you'd form Christ in us, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world around us. That we might become truly a community of empowered and equipped people who follow you and are able to bring your healing and hope and compassion to our homes, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, our cities, and beyond. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.